Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks for listening. I was raised in a generational Christian church, Christian family. My father and mother went to church. My father's father went to church. My father's father's father went to church. As far as I know back, as long as I've known, I've, I've been raised in the pews. Sunday for me was church day. Morning, lunch with friends, and then church again in the evening. When we were young, Dad would read devotions at our, at our mealtime table, and we always said grace before a meal. For what we are about to receive, Lord, make us truly thankful for Christ's sake. Amen. My sister broke the land speed record in saying it. I'm not sure she meant anything she said, but she still did it. Growing up, I never got angry at the church. And I could say that I never doubted that there was a God. Personally, I hadn't seen miracles. Or maybe I had, but I, I didn't really know it. At age 10, my mum got really, really sick after women's surgery. On the table, she lost five litres of blood. She was really sick. And I remember plenty of people standing in our lounge room praying for healing because my mum was in intensive care for nearly two months. But it kind of didn't really mean a lot to me because for me and my brother, all it meant was that we had to do extra chores around the house and look after our little sister. I mean, for me, I was a typical kid. I got sick. I got injured playing sport, but I got better. And so it was the same with mum, right? I knew we were pretty poor growing up. But I never felt like that there was this miraculous provision just sort of ended up on our table. For me, it was just, well, it was dinner time and you just went and ate. I never really got upset at the church. I never really sort of sat back and going, what are they doing? Although there was the occasional time when, when I saw what looked like pastors pushing over the crazy spiros at the front of the church. I really didn't care too much. I didn't raise my hands. That was for some people in the church to do, but I was a Baptist boy. You just kind of didn't do that anyway. I saw my brother get water baptised. But even then it didn't really mean much because a week later I saw him and some mates at the back of a news agency trying to find the porno mags. You know, the ones in the plastic covers. And every time... Leading up to him getting baptised, all he talked about was the six weeks of courses he had to do. So I'm thinking to myself, this can't really mean too much to you. I went to a western suburbs government school. It was tough. It was survival of the fittest. I played plenty of weekend sport. I kissed girls down at the netball courts. And frankly, I just loved life. I had a Bible, but I didn't really read it. Actually, as a six-year-old, I remember putting up my hand in church 
because the older kids were doing it. And when they went up the front, they got given a Bible. So I put my hand up and I walked home with a Bible. And it was the most boring thing I'd ever read in my entire life. I prayed, but I didn't really understand who to. I took the communion simply because it came around and I just hoped one day it was wine. It never was. I was a Baptist boy. Actually, it was the most pathetically diluted. I think, I think the church was doing well. It was pathetically diluted grape juice. It was terrible. I sung the songs. I graduated from the red, yellow and, and blue chorus, what were they, scripture and song chorus books to the overhead machine. And I always loved when I got put on the overheads because I would be the smart aleck who would put them upside down. Do you know, I even gave 10% of my money from, the, from what I earned from pushing trolleys at Woolworths. I lived a very balanced church boy life. If you ask me, apart from the fact that mum and dad didn't buy me Reebok pumps, my life was balanced. I was a church kid. Kids in my school knew that I was a church kid. But I could beat most of them on the sporting field, so it really didn't matter. That wasn't what defined me. What defined me is that I made the first grade in, in football. I made the first grade in the basketball team. That's what defined me, not the fact that on a Sunday I went to church. At age 16, I went on a youth camp. Again, it was no big deal. I'd been on many of them. And they were okay. Generally, the, the activities and the games were pretty good. And to be honest, the opposite sex was there. So that's why I went. But the nighttime meetings were boring. They would get these, these old guys turn up. And I'm talking, they're probably 35. Every youth kid is just going... <laughs> But they would get these boring guys turn up and they would just like do these night meetings. And I was the classic youth kid who sat in the very back row. It was in the time of hoodies, which have come back in again. And I had my hoodie pulled as far over my head as I could be. I had my feet up in the chairs in front. And we didn't have phones, so I wasn't distracted by that. But man, I was distracted by anything else I physically could be. We used to pass notes. For those who haven't written before, kids, we used to write notes. <laughs> and we would pass them along the lines. I was there, but I really wasn't there. On the very last night of camp, the youth leaders had brought in some new guy to speak to us. He was a little bit younger. He was probably about 30. And he didn't speak for very long. And again, I would sat in the back row. I was going home the next day. And after he spoke, he asked everybody to close their eyes, which again was nothing new. I'd seen this in church before. And honestly, it was just a time to catch up on a little bit of sleep. 
But what he said next was actually something that I had never heard spoken like this in my entire well-balanced church boy life. And it was a question that would ultimately change my life. He said, how many of you know for sure that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? That puts a silence, doesn't it? How many of you know for sure that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? Sure, I had done dumb things. I got caught breaking into the vacant house in our town, mainly because it had the best hallway to play soccer football, uh, hallway soccer in. I'd had my mouth washed out with soap a few times after being caught swearing. I'd snuck a couple of sips of whiskey as a kid. But I wasn't a bad kid, I was a church kid. I went to church. I did the things. I had a Bible somewhere in my room. But at that moment in a rundown hall on the banks of Lake Epilock in central Victoria, I realised that I had never contemplated that there was an alternative to heaven. And I realised that I had made a choice about my future up to that stage and that choice was that I had made no choice. If you're here today and you're a visitor, welcome. It's great to have you here. And I'm not going to apologise for what I'm going to speak on today. Because actually what I'm going to speak on today is a message of hope. And over the last few weeks we've, we've... looked at a series where we've been looking at biblical principles around uh, about finding balance in our life. But the message I want to preach today, that I pray no matter your age, whether you're 6, 16, 36 or 60, no matter where you are on your faith journey, whether you've walked in the door here for the very first time or whether you've been coming here for 24 years sitting on these red chairs, I pray that each and every person walks out the door being able to answer that very question. I'm going to use a very traditional three-point message, but I want to go right to the end first because one of the challenges that I faced as a new Christian was that I believed that the cross was a symbol of defeat. And in a way, it is a defeat of sin. But one of the greatest gifts that we can give people is the gift of hope. And so therefore, understanding in my life that the cross was not defeat, rather the cross and the resurrection are the greatest victories to have taken place in the history of humanity. A victory that ultimately changed the balance between heaven and hell once and for all. You see, my challenge growing up is that I believed in God. I would profess that I had a faith, but even atheists have a faith. I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't living a bad life, yet I didn't live with the power of victory in my corner. First point for those who are taking notes. Is it heaven and hell? You can't have them both. Mark Twain once said, as it relates to heaven and hell, I don't like to commit because I have friends in both places. 
Yet the Apostle Paul was very clear when he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was really clear with that. As a 16-year-old kid, I was incredibly comfortable living a balanced life in the middle. Doing church and being a Christian, but never pushing myself to rock the boat. To be honest, I didn't care if my friends were church people or not. It had no bearing on my life. I enjoyed hanging with the kids at church. I enjoyed hanging with the kids at school. I didn't care about their destiny because I didn't really care about my own. We arguably live in a a post-modernized world where Christianity is almost irrelevant to many. There is this unfortunate term that, that says we risk living in, a, in, a, in a, a time of buffet Christianity, which means that we can pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we want to and leave the others on the table. You see, we do that because we only pick and choose the ones that are going to help our life. We don't want to pick and choose the ones that are going to make us alter the way we live. Stephen Furtick did a teaching series uh, late last year, I think it was, or a few years ago, called Savage Jesus, which, uh, as you would expect, shook up the American church establishment. And in, in, in an interview, he said this, he said, there is an aspect of Jesus that has been conveniently forgotten. He said, our Christianity is so well balanced that we don't dare to rock the boat. Yet Jesus did whatever it took to break through religious barriers in order that people's lives would be transformed. When you are transformed on the inside, you cannot live a life in this happy medium in the middle. You can't do it. When the angel of the Lord addressed the church in Laodicea, who who were known to be living a comfortable life, the people of Laodicea were, were were a wealthy country. And when the angel of the Lord spoke to them, he was brutal. And he said to them, he said, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Whoa. This is the gospel though. He went on to say, you say I am rich. They were rich people. He went on to say, you have everything you want. You don't need a thing. And you don't realize that inside, if you are balanced, you are miserable, poor and blinded and naked. I love seeing our team at work in our church here who have embraced a culture that we as a church would do anything short of sin in order that other people might find Jesus. Let me say that again, because when I use these words, people will stand back. I embrace a culture in our team that would do anything short of sin in order that other people will find Jesus. Second point is this. Heaven and hell takes courage. Last Sunday, as I was heading down to the Huon, I had one of those moments where I uh, I felt to preach a totally different message. And it came out of Matthew 15. And I'd read it earlier in the week. And it was on the courage of a Canaanite woman. 
for the sake of time, I won't preach the same message. But, but the context is that this woman came broken before God. She's a Canaanite woman. She's a rejected woman just purely because of where she comes from. And she comes broken before God. She comes up to to Jesus where Jesus and the disciples are. So she already has the courage as a woman, as a rejected woman from the status of where she comes from. She must have lived over on the east side. So she, she comes before Jesus. And the problem is, is that she had a daughter that had, was demon possessed. Now, ultimately, she probably had a daughter that had a, we would classify as having a mental health illness. Potentially. We don't know. We actually don't know what it says, but it's enough whereby she was concerned for this woman, for her daughter. So she comes before Jesus and his disciples and she begs. It says she begs, Jesus, heal my daughter. You see, even those who didn't know about Jesus still believed in the power of Jesus. Do you get that? I'm telling you people, the community of Hobart, even though they don't yet know Jesus, a lot of them still believe in the power of Jesus. And this woman comes and she gets on her knees before before Jesus and she says, heal my daughter for she is sick. And Jesus stands there and says nothing. Silence. A rejected woman puts it on the line. Has the courage to firstly even come and Jesus stands there and says nothing. That's savage Jesus. And the disciples being the good disciples that they are, take the lead from Jesus. Well, Jesus has said nothing to her. So then the disciples say, go away woman, do not disturb him. They probably said, well, obviously he didn't want to talk to you. Do you get the drift? See you later. But you know what I love about the courage of this Canaanite woman? She had every reason to turn away and say, well, this Jesus thing is not for me. But instead what she does is she steps forward to the same Jesus that could have been seen as rejecting her. She steps forward in front of the disciples who told her verbally to go away. She gets on her knees and it says in the Scriptures that she worshipped God. She has been rejected. Her daughter is not yet healed. She has been told to go away, yet she gets on her knees and she worships God. The scriptures are littered with people who had the courage like this Canaanite woman to stand up for others. There is a brutal passage found in the Old Testament where God is speaking to Ezekiel. Uh, It's in Ezekiel 3, 17 to 19. I'm not sure if it'll come up or not. It says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. God speaking to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a young prophet at the time. He says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and go and give them a warning for me. Go and do something about it. You've seen me working in you. Now go and do something about it. 
He said to them, when I say to a wicked person, you shall surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from the evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sins. Whoa. But it's Old Testament. It's okay. Buffet Christianity. It's okay. We'll just leave that one alone. It's not okay, people. It's not okay. The Scriptures say in the Great Commission, go. Why? Because there's people in your neighbourhood. There is people that you work with. There is people in your schools. There is people in your workplaces that do not yet know Jesus. They live in a balanced life and you cannot live in a balanced life between heaven and hell. What I love is Ezekiel had the choice to obey or not. No, thanks, God. That's for somebody else to do. That's for the super spiros to do. You know, the dudes who come up here and get pushed over. That's for them to go out and tell others. I'm happy to be known that I go to church, but I don't need to go and do anything else. I just live this balanced Christian church life. Yet we read that Ezekiel got up and went, and it was there that he saw the glory of God. The Canaanite woman could have easily have just gone home, but she had the courage to worship. And in verse 28, it said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for as you desire. Your daughter is healed immediately. In a rundown hall on the banks of Lake Epilogue, Ian Hall probably had every reason not to be there. But he had the courage to tell a room full of young teenage kids that there is a place called hell and unless we made a decision to believe that Jesus is our saviour and to live our life accordingly that we risk remaining on the wide pathway that led us there. Still with me here church? Point three, heaven and hell are both real. Many struggle with the idea of a God who is all loving all kind, all compassionate, yet would think up this punishment to inflict on disobedient people. In fact, in a recent Barnard study, it said that 74 people, 74% of people believe in the idea of a heaven, yet 40% of people believe in the existence of a hell. Heaven and hell come from the same book, people. 74% believe in heaven, buffet Christianity. I'm happy to read about that part of it, but only 40% believe in a hell. I'm not happy to read about that part of it. It doesn't surprise me. Preaching's not on the top of the list for most preachers. I've had conniptions all week. In fact, I asked a, a peer of mine who's been in the game for 13 years, how often do you preach on heaven and hell? And he said, rarely would be overstating it. Yet Jesus talked about hell more often than he talked about heaven. Charles Spurgeon says this, no inspired preacher of whom we have ever had any record ever uttered such terrible words concerning the destiny of the lost as did our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a passage in Luke chapter 16. I won't read all of it for time. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 28. 
The guys might put it on the screen as I'll paraphrase it. Let me just turn to it. Luke 16, 19 to 28. No, that's not right. Oh, yes, it is. These Bibles are funny things, right? Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and lived each day in luxury. He lived a balanced life. At the gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, not to be confused with the other uh, Lazarus, but a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. We have a rich man over here. We have a poor man over here. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's tables, the dogs dogs would come and, and openly lick his sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit, behind, to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried and went to a place of the dead, went to hell. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus here just to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, you had a lifetime, my friend. You had a lifetime and you had everything you wanted laid out before you. Lazarus had nothing and now he's being comforted. This is not a passage about the haves and the haves-nots. I believe there is still some in the world who have never heard the gospel and it is our responsibility to do it. We live here in Hobart, Tasmania. I believe in missions and we will be doing missions to the far-flung places of the world, but we've also got to get it right with our next-door neighbour because they have heard the gospel. They have got everything they want. This is not about money. This is about the understanding that this lays before them, yet if they don't understand what it is, there is a place for them. And it is our responsibility. Am I passionate about it? Yeah, absolutely. You see, the rich man eventually in the passage says, just tell my five brothers and my dad. Tell my five brothers and my dad, please save their lives. There's a story about a guy called Charles Pierce. He was a convicted murderer in the, in the 1800s in England who on the day before he was, he was due to be hung received the standard visitation from the prison chaplain. The chaplain started his usual readings which would you know, talk about heaven and hell and, and then Pierce stopped him at one point and said, do you really believe in this hell that you talk about? To which a chaplain said, well, yes, but it's a little bit harsh to talk to and you know, not in this situation and we don't want to scare anybody. To which Pierce, a convicted criminal who was about to be hung the next day, said, if I believed in this hell that you have just read about, even if England was covered in glass from coast to coast, I would go on my hands and knees in order to tell my friends about it. We need the desperation of a convicted murderer who would get on his hands and knees and crawl across, across glass in order that others may hear about heaven and hell. I'll get the guys up. I said there was three points, but I want to share a fourth point, and this is the one that really matters. Heaven and hell. You were given a choice. 
Every person who inhabits this planet was created by God. If you're writing it down, Acts 17, 24 to 26. Every person who inhabits this planet was created by God. Romans 3, 23 says every person has sinned against God. Romans 6, 23 says every person finds himself separated from God. Yet God has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and be reconciled to Him. In fact, His desire is that all shall be saved. Even if you're a church boy like me, you probably know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son to die in order that we may be set free. The reason I was so convicted to preach this message today is because I don't see offence in the message. I see hope. I see a humanity that is crying out for men and women, boys and girls, to tell them that both heaven and hell are real. The reason I was so convicted on this message is because I, if, if, a, if a guy called Ian Hall didn't have the courage to tell me about this, I was happy just living my church boy life. And there may be another opportunity a year later. There may have been another opportunity a day later. There may never have been another opportunity for me to hear the gospel. Or maybe the gospel might have been spoken, but I may never have had my ears open to hear it. And we can claim that we're good people. My mother-in-law is a great person. I pray for her daily. She was president of the Happy Club. And she said to me, Sean, I'll get to heaven because I'm a good person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But this requires you to make a choice. It doesn't mean that you walk out the door and everything is rosy and is fixed. It doesn't mean you're not gonna, well, hopefully it does, you're not gonna get caught down at the news agency having a look at the porn mags. You see, my brother had, had, had made a commitment. He was a strong man of faith. He got things wrong. But I ask the question, how many of you know for sure that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. Just like Ian Hall asked me to do 30 years ago. And you may have done this every Sunday. You may never have done it. You might think this is really weird. But I'm going to say to you, regardless of what got you in the door today, maybe it was an invitation, maybe it was curiosity, maybe it was this is just what I do on a Sunday. I'm going to ask you the same question Ian Hall had the courage to ask me. 
And no matter your age, no matter where you're at, if you are not sure and today you wanna be sure as all eyes are closed, then I'm gonna encourage you to raise your hand. And the question is as simple as this. How many of you know for sure if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? And if you are not sure and you wanna be sure, I'm gonna ask you right now where you are just to raise your hand just across this place, just right where you are. Thank you, I can see those hands. Thank you, I can see that hand. I'm not gonna delay this because God's either speaking to you or He's not. Thank you, I can see that hand as well. Thank you, I can see that hand. This is a moment, this is why eyes are closed because this is a moment between you and God. Three or four people have just put up their hand. Thank you, I can see that hand at the back. And after the service, we would love to just pray with you because sometimes you need someone just to talk to you. It's only gonna be for two or three minutes. But straight after the service, we're gonna pray with you. We're just gonna talk with you because that's what Ian Hall did for me. When everyone else went off and had their supper and doing their things, he stopped and he talked to me for two or three minutes and my life has never been the same since. Just while our eyes are closed. If you had your hand up, you can put it down at the moment. Because I'm going to ask you this question. If you are sure of your salvation, but you have lost the courage to share it with others and you want to step into that, I'm going to ask you right now to raise your hand. You know your salvation, you know your faith, you know where you are, but you know inside yourself, thank you, I can see those hands going up. I can see those hands there, but you want to right now, this is between you and God. We're not gonna pray with you. We're not gonna do anything radical, but this is between you and God where you desire to say, God, I'm gonna raise my hand. Just raise them high right where you are. Where you're gonna say, I want to have the courage to get on my hands and knees and crawl across glass if it means I tell people about heaven and hell. Thank you, I can see them going right up across this place. You may have been a Christian for 30 years, but for somewhere you've lost the courage inside. But God's speaking to you right now and He's saying, man and woman, He says, the time is now. Let's put them right up, just right up where you are. All other hands, are, eyes are closed, just put them up. Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at c3hobart.org.au.